This is David's Book Talk, bringing authors and book lovers together in a unique way since 2009. Visit us at davidsbooktalk.com and join the conversation at facebook.com slash davidsbooktalk. But first, pull up a chair, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Here's your host, David English. And welcome to David's Book Talk. And today we're going to talk to a New York Times bestselling author. She is Lisa Unger. She's got one of the weirdest covers on a book I've ever seen, but it's so fascinating. Hello. <laughs> Hello. It's not weird. It's awesome. It, 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 it's, it's like creepy. It's like, I don't know. There's something about this cover that freaks me out. But it's, it is a little bit. It is a little creepy with the finger trailing down the middle of it. Yeah, it is. You're right, it is creepy. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you did it on purpose, Lisa. Just face it, you did it on purpose. People well, are... I mean, yeah, got to go for that creepy vibe, right? Like, we're not looking for, I don't know. Right. And you're far from a creepy person, because I've met you. You're, very, you're a very <laughs> nice person. <laughs> I, I get that a lot, you know? People are always like, oh, but you seem so so nice. I'm like, oh, I am nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they do that. They assume that because your books are weird that you must be weird too. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I suppose I am weird on some level, but I'm also, you know, I'm also nice and normal some of the time, most of the time. <laughs> this book's getting a lot of, of, of advance. I mean, it's getting a lot of good stuff online. I'm here, anyway, you, you said... Uh, all these places are t are really, including Publishers Weekly. They say you're on a roll. Yes, they did say that. <laughs> so like, which role was that? No, I a sesame roll, or like that's that's immediately what I thought. Like, <laughs> but what a great thing to say. They don't say that very often. They don't. <laughs> in fact, in fact, some of the things they say. If I were an author, I'd probably cry after that. Some of those. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, reviews are always you're always happy. Like you, know, you spend like so much time alone with your book. You know, you spend so much time writing and living with your characters, and you know, then your 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 agent and your editor read it, and you know, you, you hope they love it, and they get you already. Like they already know, you know, know who you are, kind of a thing. So you never really know. Like, and the book is going to go out in the world. You like, you don't know how it's going to be received. So it is always very joyful when, you know, the early trade reviews are good. So I was very pleased, of course. That's that's nice. It's, I mean, this is book number nineteen. Is that right? It is. It, so you're going to do something special for your twentieth book, like give away twenty free books or something? Yeah, something. I'm sure something good. <laughs> something along those. Yeah, I just typed the end on my 20th novel a couple of weeks ago. Oh, you did? And uh, I did, and it felt kind of like a big deal. You know, it did. It kind of felt like a big milestone. You know, I was like, wow, 20 bucks. I mean, especially since I'm only, you know, 25. <laughs> now, what, what's the highest you've been on the New York Times? Um, I guess the highest I've been is probably number 16. That's like the extended list. Well, that's great. That's so great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm happy to have ever been on the list for any reason. That's <laughs> <laughs> That's true. When I asked that, I had no idea what you were going to say. So I, I suddenly realized maybe she hasn't made the top ten. She's going to be mad at me for asking that question. No, no. I mean, 
Of course not. Like, it, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, it's always it's always a great thing, but, you know, you can't, not everybody's going to be on the list every single book, every single time. I'm happy to have ever been on the list. I'm, you know, also on a lot of other bestseller lists, so I'm always very grateful for that, but that's not why I write. How, as an author, I can't imagine how hard it is to make every book different. I mean, you don't want one book to remind somebody of another book. Like some people will say, oh, that writer writes the same book every time. You know, it, yeah. that's like the worst when somebody says that. And I wonder, though, because it does seem like people want that in a weird way. Like, it's because it does seem like the things that maybe do the best are the same time after time. Um, and there are certain types of writing that people expect, the, you know, expect the same type of story every single time they sit down and open the, the jacket. But I, you know, for me, it's always, you know, I mean, everything, every book is a little bit, you know, is a little bit different from what came before it. And, uh, and it's always just very organic. You know, it's not like I sit down and say, oh, I have to write something that's different from what I wrote before. Or, oh, you know, like I want to write something that's the same as what came before. Like, there's never anything like that. It's always me just following the voices in my head, whatever I happen to be obsessed with in any given moment, you know, um, and I kind of followed those, you know, those instincts, those feelings, those vibes, and I know that I don't want to read the same thing every time, and I don't want to write the same thing every time, so I feel like as long as I'm involved and excited about what I'm working on, then hopefully that translates as well for my readers. And it's also like pattern, word patterns and stuff, so you think, you think it, because we all, we talk in patterns, I mean, I know, I know, I know we're talking to my friends in patterns, and they'll say to me, you said that to me before, like, <laughs> <laughs> like how did, you're repeating yourself, that's yeah. getting old, yeah, so, <laughs> getting old. but how do you stop that from happening as a writer, is it difficult? I don't know. I mean, I don't really, I don't really think about it that way. Every character, you know, every book has its own special universe. Every character is, you know, is unique to me, is somebody new to me. And every story flows from that character. So, I mean, I don't really, you know, certainly there are probably, you know, um, I guess when you, when you learn about writing and when you talk about writing, you can sort of, you know, wind up with personal cliches, like things that you use a lot to describe something or, you right. know, whatever it is. But I think, you know, in the editorial, hopefully you're attuned to that or somebody's attuned to that. Like, oh, you're, you know, I, my, one of my writers, one of my writer friends tweeted a couple of years ago, she, he said, uh, I seem to have a billowing problem. Like, everything in my book is billowing, like curtains and blouses. And like, <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> What did you do for research as far as this? I mean, it, I'm sure you didn't do any online dating. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. I have to admit, I was not willing to go down that that particular rabbit hole for the book. But I will say that, you know, so the, the book was inspired by, um, like, a conversation that I had with a young friend who was, like, talking about online dating and how it was so, you know, like, this endless pool of choices. You know, like, she could just keep swiping and swiping, and there's the next one and the next one and the next one. And, you know, that she, she asked me, like, how do you know? How can you ever know? 
if you picked the right person? And I just was like so kind of taken aback by that question. I was like, well, this was not the right question. You know, like this is, you're, you're not stopping for a toaster. You know, like it's not like you need to, you know, you're not looking for reviews of like the best, the best toaster on the market. Like love is a, you know, is a head trap. It's not an algorithm. And, uh, and so I, I thought that that question was a little bit distressing. And then, you know, she went on to say, like, well, you know, if you have a relationship online with somebody and then they show up in your life and they're not what, you're, what you expected, it's just super easy to ghost that person. And it's very easy to be ghosted if you are not what they expected. And so the conversation kind of stayed with me and it led me to just kind of doing a lot of research, you know, um, reading and, um, and documentaries and all different kinds of things. It's not so much the online dating thing that interested me as right. it is how t- the technology is rewriting this really ancient pursuit. Well, it's funny how, you know, people talk about meeting people in bars. Like, you don't want to meet people in bars. What kind of people are you meeting in bars? And so we, but, <laughs> Real people. Actual people. But now they have bar trivia, so you're meeting normal people, you know? Exactly. Normal people who go to a bar. That's who you're meeting in a bar. <laughs> but, but it's not the place, we, you know, we think about, well, that's good. You, you think more about the right. drinking than you do about the meeting, you know? Well, maybe. It depends. I mean, it depends on why you went out that particular night. But, you know, I was just talking about this with my husband, who I, so I've been married for 21 years. So, obviously, when we, when I was dating, there weren't any, you know, there weren't any uh, online dating. Well, there weren't any dating apps, but online dating had just kind of started. And, you know, so I did meet a couple people that way. But I did, I eventually I met my husband in a bar. Did you really? <laughs> I did. Well, I really I stepped into that one, didn't I? <laughs> you did. I met him at Sloppy Joe's in Key West. Um, and that was, you know, that was 21 years ago. So, you know, that, that's been working out pretty well. <laughs> did he, did he hit on you right away? Or was it more of a... He did. He, he did. Oh, wow. And... Yeah, and we, but we were recently talking about how, um, you know, a couple of years ago we had like, you know, um, we had a like, grow, you know, date weekend, grown up weekend. My, you know, my daughter was with my with my parents, and we were in Miami, and we like, you know, got tickets to this DJ, and we were like so super cool. We're going to this club, you know. We're like, you still got it, you know. <laughs> we get to the club, and like literally everybody was on their phone. What is your, like, what, yeah. Literally everyone was like right. looking at their app, you know, taking pictures of themselves, dancing, you know, and I thought, oh my God, like, this is terrible, like, because this is the kind of place where when you're young, you know, and you're looking and you're, you know, sort of experiencing your youth and your life and going out with your friends and stuff, like, this is where you, this is what you do, you go out and you, you know, you meet people. Right, like in a real world situation, it may not, maybe it's not ideal, bar or club or whatever, but like it's a place that's like a real place where you meet real people. And so we were taught, we were, we were shocked to see how completely obsessed with their phones everybody in this bar was. And they, you know, like, and so in my research, I kind of, there are these, app, you know, there, there's all these apps where, you know, you can just be, you can literally, just be looking for somebody who's in your vicinity 
like yeah, it tells somebody, you, and it tells you how close they are too, which is really strange. They're willing to have like a no strings encounter or whatever, and it's like, okay, so you're sitting in a bar looking for somebody on your phone, but the pe- and the people around you are also looking for somebody on their phone. Right. Exactly. So it, to me, it seems so. Bro- it seems so broken. You know, because, like, that energy exchange of meeting somebody, like, wow, I met you, and it's, like, this big feeling. Like, that's how it was for me and my husband. For, you know, for well, I wish I could go to a bar and meet my, in my future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why, why, why can't you? <laughs> I could, but I'm not really a drinker. I've never really been a drinker. But I, I have met a lot of people from online. I have, I have done. Oh, yeah. What's that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people do. I mean, it's the way of it now. And, and I've really only had a couple that really stayed with me, that really are yeah. really good friends. Now, the rest, I'm like, okay, if I hear from them, that's fine. If I don't, that's fine, too. You know, that's... Right. And it isn't anything against the other person. There's just not a connection there. There's just not right. a, a mental connection. Right. And that's, I mean, that's everything. I mean, that's critical. It's like if you, wherever you meet the person that you meet them in the bar or you meet them online, and certainly there are a lot of that you know that I know, um, you know, who are my friends who met their their spouses online, and they're they're perfectly you know perfectly happy and in love and all the all those good things. But like, it doesn't matter how you meet somebody, but that connection is what makes what makes the difference. You know, that's what is like. Okay, are we going to get to know each other better? Why do we let, we need to talk more about the book too? Because I love the now oh, and <laughs> the now and the then chapters are are my favorites. Oh yeah, well, thank you. But tell people a little bit of what the book's about. What the book's about it starts with Mia. Mia is the first chapter. Yeah, Mia is the prologue, and it's, uh, it starts from the perspective of a girl that who we won't discover who she is for a little while, and she is um, and she is on her way to meet a man that she is in love with and somebody who has promised her, I guess, a different way to live. And so she is on her way to meet this person. And so it starts with her and her perspective and, you know, why she was open to this and, you know, the choices that she's made in her life, a little bit of a, a like, a perspective on who she is as a person. And then we meet Ren in the first chapter. And Ren is, you know, basically waiting to meet a person who she has met online. And um, so Ren, like, you know, when I first met her, when we all first meet her, like, you know, the things I knew about her where she was an advice columnist and that she came from a really, a really dark space and that she has worked her way into the light. You know, through um, events that unfold in the novel, she has liberated herself from kind of a, a tragic past. And she's created a life in the light. She's successful. She has a job that she loves. She has friends that she loves. She's, you know, renovating a home in Brooklyn. And she's, you know, she's doing okay. But her best friend Jack is like you know you're lonely you're not meeting anyone you all, all you ever do is work and so she kind of pushes Ren into the online to the world of online dating and so she has a couple of underwhelming encounters and then um, she winds up meeting Adam and she is in love she, when she falls for him she falls really really hard and so they have this you know, kind of white-hot romance, and then after a particularly romantic evening, he makes a request. He says, tell me something that you have never told anyone before, and she does. She reveals a very dark 
secret. And the next day, Adam disappears. He's wow. gone from her life. He stands her up. His phone has been disconnected. His social media profiles are gone. And the place he thought uh, that she thought he lived is just a vacation rental. And we have a major broken heart here, which is it's so major hard. broken heart. She is devastated. She is gutted. Have you ever had and your heart broken, Lisa? I have had my heart broken, of course. Haven't we all? Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. But, I mean, you, you go to the bar, you meet your future husband, bam, it's all set, everything's set. That's right. Heart mended. <laughs> He's the, the local bar. You just, you know, it's, I, 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 a I'm, local watering hole, drowning all my sorrows. Did you know, when you first met your future husband, did you know that you were going to see, you, did you know it was going to be permanent? I did. It was definitely love at first sight for both of us. Well, what? That's interesting, though. How did you know? I mean, what were the tell signs? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I can answer that. I just remember this particular, like, feeling, like, when I met him at Sloppy Goods. And it's this kind of really funny story that, like, I, you know, I went to Key West. I was working in publishing in at the time. And I went to Key West to visit a friend of mine who had just a few months earlier met a guy and, like, moved to Florida. And she was my, well, she's still, to this day, my very good friend. She was, you know, one of my best friends, my oldest, one of my oldest friends. And I had, you know, gone down to meet her in, in Key West. And so we had been in Floppy Joe's earlier that evening, but we had we had been kicked out because I didn't have an ID. Wow. And that's how young we were. And so we, you know, so I left the hotel to go, left the, the, the bar to go to the hotel and find my ID and came back. Meanwhile, Jeff had come down to go scuba diving to the Keys. He was living in Detroit at the time. Oh, wow. And he had come to go scuba diving, and he and his friends were prepared to go on a night dive um, up in the up in the Keys, and his friend, like, freaked out. It was like, oh, I can't do it. You know, I don't want to dive in the dark or whatever. And they're like, okay, forget it. We're not going to do it. And uh, he had just happened to have met, he had just happened to meet this guy, this guy, named Fred, who is, uh, you know, like just this party animal living in the Keys. And he, Jeff had met um, Fred at a wedding a couple of months earlier. He's like, well, I know this guy in the Keys. Let me call him. So he called Fred, and they all got in Fred's car and went to Key West and came to Sloppy Joe's. <laughs> at the same time you were there. Boy, it's at like... The same time I was there. And Fred was actually the first one I met. I was dancing with him for a little while. And then he kind of spun me around, and he, like, put me in front of Jeff. And he was like, this is Jeff. And I was like, oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. Like, literally, that was it. We just started talking, and then we wound up leaving. I hate that you I hate that you had it so easy. I mean, I... And it, well, I mean, I didn't have to be leading up to that. Right. So let's just do it that way. <laughs> <laughs> he was my reward for having learned a lot of hard lessons well. Well, let's see. You're 35 now. You did it when you were 21. <laughs> 14. Exactly. I like your math. That works for me. Yeah, really. It's a great. You're such a fun. You you are you're such a fun person. When we read your books, your books are, are fascinating to read. But I wouldn't say they were. I mean, they're fun in a certain fun. way. They're fun to figure out where they're going. That's the fun part. Oh well, thank you. I appreciate that. But that's that's the whole idea. You want to confuse the reader. You want the reader to think, oh, "Where is this book going?" 
We're, yeah, well, you want people to be involved, you know, like, that's really the thing, like, I feel like, for me, I'm always super, super involved with my characters, you know, things evolve for me on the page, you know, much in the same way that they will for my readers later on, you know, so I feel really involved with my characters, I feel very much on the inside, looking out, as opposed to... Do you feel like you know your characters? Uh, say it again, sorry. Do you feel like you know all your characters? Really yeah, well. when the book is when the book is done, yes, I do. I feel like they kind of reveal themselves to me in layers. Like it's a relationship that I have, you know, and it's a relationship that evolves over, you know, usually over the period of a year. You know, you spend a lot of time with your characters, like getting to know them, and like you know, for me, all plot flows from character. Like I don't have an outline. I don't know who's going to show up day to day or what they're going to do. I definitely don't. I mean, I almost kind of don't know what the book is about, and I definitely don't know how it's going to end. When, so, you, when these plots come to you, is it is it usually something somebody has said, or is it some is it sometimes something you've read, or something that reminded you of something? How do how do these plots come into your head? Yeah, it's all it's all of that. It's all of those things. So like it could be, you know, like in this case, it was a conversation I had with my friend right. that kind of got me obsessed about something. Usually, that's the key. Like I. Come, I read about something and then I get really interested in that topic or I hear about something and I get really interested in that topic and of course not all those points of obsession you know turn into a novel but it is like sort of this continuum that I'm on or that I consider myself to be on of like reading researching and writing you know like my research informs my fiction my fiction you know informs my research you know my life might cause me to research something that then will inspire a novel. You know, so it really could be anything. It could be a conversation. It could be a news story. It could be, you know, um, in one case it was a piece of junk mail. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just like, a, it's just whatever it happens to be that gets me going, huh, I am really curious about this like you know on confessions on the 745 mm -hmm. i just had this phrase like knocking around my head for so long um and it was this idea that you can't con an honest man and i'm not even sure where i heard it or what you know was was it in research for something else was it something that i watched or read so i couldn't even remember where the idea came from but it just kind of kicked around in my head Mm. And I I wound up bringing it up. I was on a panel at BEA one year at, at John Jay College with, I was with Megan Abbott and, and Ruth Ware and um, Brenda. Right. I kind of brought it up again. You know, you can't comment on the stand. You know, what do you think about that? And she was like, well, I don't know. It kind of sounds like victim blaming to me. And I was like, yeah, I hear that. It sounds right. Anyway, so it got me into the idea of researching like the con, the con artist, and the confidence game. Right. And uh, and I found this book called The Confidence Game by Maria Konnikova, and I wound up, you know, researching all the different facets of you know con artists and 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 how and how their minds work and how they're able to you know fool people with these really common scams that everybody should know, and all of this stuff. And so I. And that got me really into that that whole world of, of con artists and the psychology of the con and the psychology of the con 
And so, because I was researching that, then my first uh, entry into Confessions on the 745 was a character named Pearl, who's just a kid when we first meet her. Um, and that's how that worked. Hmm. Um, but that's how it. That's kind of how it always works. There's always something that's as, got me. As readers, you're always fascinated by where a story came from. It's, I mean, especially right. some of the stories you read. You're like, I would love to know where this idea came from. Like Dennis Lehane talks about one book that he wrote that was all a dream in his head. And, yeah. And you, you always wonder, you know, what's going on in their mind? What kind of a mind did they have to think of this stuff? You know. Right. <laughs> You know, and Dennis Lahane is, an, is a good example because I always think of, well, I know he said a lot of times that he, you know, he writes, he writes the same way I write. You know, it's all organic. And you find that people fall into those two really distinct camps, right? Like people who write, like, you know, from character voice and plot flows from character and character is really the most important thing. and Or you find people who really carefully outline their plots and they have an idea but everything is like plotted out meticulously before they ever sit down to write and you can find examples in both groups of people who like you know are very successful in either way you know what I mean like it's it works for whoever it you know whatever the particular technique is it works for that person you know um but I, I always feel like people who write the way I write, have been, most of us have been writing since we were kids. And, and you, don't, I mean, you don't write a series, you write a diff different characters each time. And yeah, there's a, there, are a, there are some books that are linked by character, and there are some there are Oh, there books are? That are oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, so the first four books are um, linked by a true crime writer named Lydia Strong, and that's a series that was originally published by St. Martin. Uh -huh. And then the next two books are uh, both featuring the same character, Ridley Jones. Mm. Um, and then there's a number of standalones. And then there's also some books that are linked by a um, by my fictional town called The Hollows. Oh, okay. And they have, um, they're not, it's not really a series, but they're like chain linked by character and place. You like, you like doing like, that, obviously. I do. I like having, you know, I, I don't necessarily, um, you know, want a series per se, but I do have these people and places that kind of pop up throughout. So, like, for example, in Last Girl Ghosted, there is an appearance of a, of a character by the name of Jones Cooper, and he is a recurring oh, yes. character who has been in a number of my books. And the Hollows is um, also is is, a, is my fictional town, and it tends to pop up places. Sort of like Stephen King's Bangor, Maine, always comes up, you know. Right, exactly. You have your like place, and it kind of pops up, or you wind up there, or whatever it is. It's just kind of your, you know, part of that inner geography of your brain. Exactly. So, will that continue with it with subsequent books now? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting way ahead of myself, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. It'll it'll come up when it comes up. So how the next book you said it's already done. How do you how do you make sure that it's better than the last book, the last girl ghosted? I mean, what do you what do you do to up to ramp it up a bit, or, or do you do that? Or I mean, I feel like my you know my goal is always to be better every single time. You know, um, but it's really an internal goal. You know what I mean? Like. 
I, you know, that, for me, that's my number one motivator, like this idea that I have, that I've always had, that I can get, I can sit down to my computer every day and I can be a better writer than I was yesterday. And what does that mean? I mean, what it means to me is that, you know, I dig deeper. I'm, you know, into character. I'm more precise with my language. I am you know, ever more involved with my with my story, that I am, you know, fully realized as a, cre- a creative, that I'm in my, I'm in my zone more often than I'm not, and you know, it's not so much like, an ex- like when I say, like, I want my book to be better every time, there, it's not like an intellectual or an external goal, it's not like, oh, I want it to be more twisty, or, oh, I want it to, you know, really shock the reader at the end, or, oh, like, there's nothing like that for me in my process. It's all, like, I just want it to be more organic. Like, I want the characters to be more real. I want the things that, you know, that come from them to be, you know, expected on some level, but surprising on another level. I want to feel like people get to know my characters and that they're, you know, that they take a journey with those people on the page and that they're deeply involved, as involved as I am in what happens to them, right? Because I feel like you can create this perfect plot, right? Like, you could create a perfect plot. You could. You could sit down and be like, this is a perfect plot. And, like, the stakes are huge. And, like, you know, the fate of this free world hangs in the balance or whatever, you know, like the big stakes kind of a thing. Um, but if people don't care about your characters, they don't care about your story. Exactly. Absolutely. And so that's where I always stay. That's where I always dwell. I dwell with my characters and what's happening with them, just in the same way that, you know, you dwell with your friends and your family member, family members and, like, what's happening with them. You're involved in what's happening with them because you care about those people. Are you always, are you always trying to shock the reader at the end, have an ending where they didn't expect it? No. <laughs> No. <laughs> Not really, no. I don't have I don't have any thoughts like that. I I feel like I want there to be organic surprises, like things that flow from character and plot, things that you didn't you didn't know and that are revealed and you're like, Oh wow like I want certainly I want them to have that kind of a journey but I'm never like looking to shock or trick or surprise. Like I feel like if you're doing that, like if you've approached the book with that idea, then you probably already failed. Huh. You probably have already done something really inorganic that is not that is not going to work. You have so many levels to you. You you, you answer sometimes so surprising. I, I expect oh. to answer one way and it goes the other way. I love that about you. You're very unexpected. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I don't know why that's. I don't know why we're laughing, but it is funny. It I is guess. funny. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I guess. I guess. You know. I. I don't. You know. I. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're just asking really good questions. <laughs> maybe I. I love to ask good questions. See, when you ask a question and the author doesn't hasn't really thought about that answer ever, it's kind of interesting to hear their answer. Yeah. Well, I think that's the most fun interview, though, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you don't want to hear the standard questions. Where does it come from? When's the next yeah. book coming out? Yeah. All that exactly. stuff. That right, exactly. I mean, like, anybody can ask those questions, but when you ask something that, I mean, I'm, you know, I like it when people ask something I haven't thought about before. When you said, when you start a new book, it, uh-huh. from beginning to end, is it always fun, or are there times when you're, like, 
crying and times when you're frustrated. I mean, how does it work for yeah. you? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's a relationship, you know. It's like a, a year or more, like, sort of dwelling in that space. And, you know, um, I, I'm i a natural writer. Um, it's harder for me not to write than it is for me to write. So it's not like I'm, I'm not one of those writers that's like, I hate the page, I hate to write, it's pain, it's bleeding onto things like that. That's not me at all. I love to write. I live for the blank page. But, you know, every story is a relationship, especially the way I write. It's an organic, it's an organic process. So there's always, an, you know, there's always flow days, like days when you just cannot stop the pages from coming and you're fully involved and you're there. And then there's the days that are like ebb days, you know, where it's just like the thing is just gestating and you're like, okay, well, you know, and those days are more challenging, but, you know, after so many years of, of doing it, I just kind of know that it's like, all right, well, I've got to go to the gym or I have to go bake a cake or like something, like anything other than writing so that I can, you know, let those ideas kind of fall fall into place and then sometimes I do dream about my work sometimes I do dream about things and I have to get up in the night and write things down or even just go to work first thing in the morning and um, that's kind of how it always is and then there's usually a point where you just get really like mad at your book like you know this happens to me probably every book where I just get like kind of mad at it like it's not working and it sucks and you know, I suck because, like, there's no way I'm going to be able to fix it, and I I hate it. And then the book is like, okay, well, fine. If you feel that way, then get out. You get kicked out. Right, exactly. <laughs> you get kicked out, and you can't get back in. And you're like, oh. And then um, usually that's when I go downstairs, and my husband's glad I tell this all this to my husband. I can't do it. It doesn't work. I, I, I forgot how to write a book. I, I don't know. And he's like, I know. I know. He's like, you know, we do this every year, right? And I'm like, no, at this time, it's really true. I really mean it. This time. <laughs> I really mean it. Maybe we need and to go like, to the bar, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, get back to work. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Boy, he's a taskmaster, I'm telling you. He is. He's like, this, because he knows there's not going to be any happiness until I've, I've been let back into the manuscript. And then your book forgives you and lets you back in, and it all, it all works out. So does it help? Does it help when he gives you a big hug? Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you just need a hug. Really. That's right. You probably didn't get a hug in the bar the first time you met him. Or maybe you did. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I can't believe we're getting this per. I never expected this interview to get this personal. People are like, "This guy just wants to find out everything about her," you know. And I'm just, but we're having so much fun. You're so open. It, it, you know, it's hard not to ask these personal questions. You know. Okay. That's good. <laughs> but you know, writing. I, you know, I, when I read a book, I think, "Wow, how this has got to be difficult to write. It's got to be to keep the reader engaged for three hundred and some pages." to make these characters real, to make everything, every chapter seem real, has got to be a difficult thing to do. It can't be easy. You just don't sit down and it automatically flows from your hand. I mean, it, it can't be that easy. It doesn't, I mean, I wouldn't say that it's easy, but I would say that for me, it's, you know, it's a joy. Right. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like, I mean, nothing worth doing is ever truly easy. You know, like, if you, if I think about, like, my past 
as a writer, you know, like all writers are readers first, right? Like that's where you fall in love with story in the pages of other people's books. Right. And so as a kid, you know, I was a huge reader. As a kid, my mom was a librarian. You know, our house was always filled with books. You know, I was always allowed to read anything I wanted to read. When did you first? When did you first decide I can do this and start writing? I mean, when did that first happen? How old were I mean, you? I, I don't remember that moment. Like, I was young. I was, you know, really young. I mean, I think I was, like, basically, you know, er earlier than middle school. And I, you know, had always been in love with stories. You know, I wrote short stories that were, like, really bad, like, modern poetry and stuff. And, like, you know, she's always thought of myself as, like a, a writer and you know my dad was an engineer isn't it or I mean he's retired now but like I don't think you ever stopped being an engineer and uh, he was like you know I was like oh I, I think I'm a writer I want to write I want to be a writer and he's like yeah no that's not a job people don't yeah exactly <laughs> people, don't do, people don't do that you gotta get a real job and I was like oh <laughs> but you wanted to write you persevered I, I mean why do why do parents why do parents think that? They're, I guess they're just afraid you're going to starve to death. Right, or they are afraid that they would have to, like, you know, support me for the rest of my life. <laughs> it's right. In case they, what if she writes and nobody wants to read it? Then what do we do? You know? <laughs> exactly, then what? And so we just kind of, you know, I just kind of went for my, you know, I just never, I never gave that piece of myself up and my entire education was focused on that on writing you do realize though how talented you really are lisa i did not i did not i did not i had some support i had early support from teachers and in college i had a lot of support i started my first novel when i was 19 and i just knew that this is the thing that i was going to do that i had to do but that i did not have the confidence to actually pursue it when i graduated from college even though i did have writing professors that said we well, should get an agent and i was like well I'm in my head i'm thinking well what i really need is a job because i can't move home right, exactly. <laughs> so i went to i went into publishing you know which was the closest thing i could do to um pursuing my dreams without having any real skin in the game, you know? Right. And, in you know, I wound up... Oh, good. You wound up, I'm sorry. Oh, I just wound up, I wound up in publishing, and I wound up being, like, really, really good at my job, which was a bad thing, because my job just kept getting bigger and bigger, and then the time I spent writing got smaller and smaller. Uh-oh. Until I reached a place where I wasn't writing at all. Well, the book that really got me started on you was Beautiful Lies. That's the book. That's the, oh, yeah. the the incredible book that really got me reading you. I mean, that one. Okay. There was something about that book. I, I can't even tell you the plot because I don't remember it now. It's been so many years, but I, I do remember how much I did love that book. I'm so glad. Yeah, and it, and uh, you, you have a major talent. It's amazing. I, I read your sentences, and sometimes I have to read them twice because I think, wait a minute, that's got more of a meaning than I thought it did. I, I literally, this is what happens when I'm reading your book, and I like that. I like that challenge. Thank you. And yeah, a lot. has anybody ever told you that before? Yes. Yes. Oh. Uh, it always, you know, it always means a lot to hear that. Right. 
and you know you, you want to be liked by everybody you want everybody to read your books and and you know um, as a writer it's so important for for you to get the work when do you remember when you read from your first book like at a book signing what was that like yeah that was really amazing i mean i actually do remember that i'm trying to think cause i think i was at maybe no it wasn't mysterious um it was a mystery store in New York City that is now no longer there. Were you nervous when you were reading it from it? Yes, definitely. Yes, I was always very nervous before all appearances at first. Very nervous. And, um, you know, but I was also very, like, excited, you know, because I, you know, it was an amazing thing, like, to have my first book published. It was, like total dream come true. So there was that, too. It was like a real head trip as well. That's, that's interesting. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine reading something. I remember in school reading things that I'd written, and I'm like, they'd make you read it out loud in front of the whole class, and it, I was terrified. You know, I was like, yeah. what if they don't like me after they after I read this? You know, <laughs> if I'm not any good. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that, you know, that's just kind of, I mean, I think that's just kind of a muscle that you develop, you know? As a writer, you know, like at a certain point in your career, you know, you just kind of, you know, at first it's very terrifying and then, you know, you just kind of realize you have to, you know, you have to be kind of bold and, you know, there has to be a certain level of boldness, right? Otherwise, you know, that book would still be in the, you know, that first book that I wrote, the one that I started when I was 19 and finished when I was 29, taking 10 years to write it, um, it would still be on a shelf somewhere. Right. If you were in a little bit of a, if you were in a little bit of a maverick. Exactly. So what what haven't you accomplished as a writer that you would like to accomplish? What have I not accomplished? I'm that's here. such an that's an interesting question. I don't I I don't have any I don't have any true external goals. You know I don't have any like. I, you know, I want to be this number on the list, or I want this award, or whatever. I don't have anything like that, you know. Um, my my goals are really just about the work. Like, I just don't, I don't feel like I've written my best book yet. Because hmm. I feel like that is still to come. And I need to have that feeling, right? Like, I need to have that still be ahead of me. You know, because that that's an intrinsic motivation, like that I can that I can always get better, that I can always. Do you think you'll know it once you finish it? That this is the best book ever. I I don't think probably not. <laughs> I would say not, since I've never once thought that. Right. <laughs> I don't think. I mean, there's never been that moment where I'm like, "Wow, this is great!" Like I've never thought well, that. But as, you, as you're writing, though, each book, don't aren't there moments where you're like, "Well, I'm really doing good on this one. This is really good." Oh, no, never. No. You never feel that way. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I never do. Really? No. I wonder if any writer ever does. I don't know. I I don't know anybody who does feel that way. Like, well, I, I don't know anybody. Wow, this is great. I think Julianne Flynn has already said that her next book's going to be absolutely amazing. Well, I'm sure that it's true then if she said so. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, where's the book? And we've been waiting all this time. You know, if this is going to be such a super duper book, where is it, Julianne? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, she's, I'm sure she's probably, she, I'm sure she's probably right about that. But, I, you know, and it's funny that I do remember her reading her saying something like that and right. thinking, wow, that's amazing. Like, I've never felt, I mean, I've never felt that way. And uh, I don't know anybody else who's ever felt that way. Like, like this is it. This is my best book. This well, it might just be a confidence thing. It's just like she's building her confidence. I yeah, maybe she's saying it just for her, saying it for herself. Right, so girl, when I think about, right. when I think about like the book that I actually do think was the, the, like one of the best books that I have read in the last five years, right? Like or maybe longer now. I I always have to say it's it's the Goldfinch oh, by John yeah. and I mean I just think that is like an absolute masterpiece like it's a it's perfection in every way like it's just it's it's beautifully written it's character rich and beyond character rich it's like you know it was the kind of reading experience that for me it was like okay i'm only going to allow myself to read five pages of this because i needed to not end right right and I, I mean, and I don't, I don't know how she herself felt about that book when, when she was done with it. Like, I don't know the answer to that. I haven't read an interview with her where she said, like, I, I knew it was. Have you felt that way about all her books? No. Mm-mm. Just that one. No. Just that one. I started to watch the and, movie. I never did finish the movie. Oh no! I would never. I could never watch that movie. Well. I mean, the reading experience was so profound, you know, and uh, I mean, I don't know how she felt about that. Like, I could look at that and go, wow, that is truly a masterpiece. And you wonder how, what she goes through. Does she have agony moments where she's like, I'm never going to finish this book? Or does she I, go through I, that? Or is it just easy for her? I don't, I don't think it's easy for her. I mean, it takes her, like, 10 years. Yeah, that wouldn't be long. easy. That's a, that's a long, that's like that's having. That's a long haul. Yeah. That's a long haul. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that it would ever be easy, but I just, you know, like, I think you can only have those feelings about, like, other people's work, you know, just to be like, oh, wow, this is amazing. You know, and, like, you can, and, and it, it, it ignites the, you know, like, the reader joy. I felt, know, that like, way, I felt that way about The Dry by Jane Harper. Oh, oh I haven't read it. I, I, I absolutely love that book. There's yeah, something about, yeah, I heard great things about it. I heard great things about it. Yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. And yet, I read another of hers, and it was the writing was really good, but the story wasn't as good. But sometimes I think it's just really personal. You right. know, sometimes it's just real, like a really personal experience. Like somebody else might not have that same experience. Like I know people who don't like the goldfinch, and I'm like, I don't know. How, I don't know how you feel that way. But like they just don't. They couldn't get into it, or it was too dense, or like whatever. So. It's also really, it's a, it's, a, it's also really personal, right? You know, but it's like that reader joy, you know. That's like, you know, I, I want that in my own book when I'm writing. I want to feel reader joy when I'm writing, and I do, you know. And I know as long as I'm in that space, I know I'm doing the best that I can do as a writer. Like I know that, so it's like feeling that is akin to being like, oh, it's good, it's great. Like I know, like I can feel that. You know, if I'm joyful in my writing, then I know that it is. How many countries are you published in right now? Do you know? Uh, Thirty. Thirty. That's amazing. Thirty. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. I mean, that's a lot of countries. 
And can you give us any kind of clue about the next book? Is there anything you can tell us? I can't. I can't tell you anything about it. I cannot. Not even a hint? No. I'm going to tell you it's my 20th book that it's psychological suspense and that bad things happen. Oh, okay. That, <laughs> everybody's like, everybody feels cheated now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they don't call me the master of suspense for nothing. That's right. <laughs> I got to keep this suspense. Right, exactly. You did. I rarely have an author who won't tell me about their next book. Usually they'll give me a hint. I won't. I will not. I'm not. I can't. When it's ready to go to galley, like when I, that's when it's done, done. Then I'm ready to talk about it. Then I'm ready to say what it's about. But until then, I just can't. Right. Maybe you'll maybe you'll slip a copy in the mail for me so I can. <laughs> I I will. You you get you'll get one of you get the first galley. Really? Yes. <laughs> I, I I would think as a writer you get kind of possessive. You don't want to. You want it to be. You want it to be perfect. You don't want. You just don't want the energy to leak out. You right. You don't want. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to. Like, I always feel like if people talk about, when people are talking to me about what they're working on, I'm like, I, I get nervous for them. I'm like, don't talk about it. Like, just don't talk about it. You need to take all that energy and keep it on the page. Exactly. Okay. I mean, are you, are you ever fearful that somebody will steal your idea? No. <laughs> no? No, I mean, generally, no. generally steal an idea, sort of like, you know, oh, I... I Oh, yeah, like, I, I don't know, like, I don't think that's, I mean, it's so, it's funny because my friend Althea talks about this, she talks about how, like, um, you, you know Althea Burke, of course, she's mm. a, yes. a really great writer and a good, good friend, and um, she talks about how um, she and another author, she had written a book, and then she found out that another author, um, the book was coming out. Exactly the same time, it was like about the same, I think it was about the same case. It had been inspired by the same thing that her book had been inspired by. I cannot remember what the actual, I don't remember exactly what book it was. And oh. she said she was like devastated. She's like, oh my God, you know, this is going to be terrible. But it turned out that it was like, I mean, obviously, of course, because they're completely different books. So they're completely different authors. They brought completely different perspectives to the, to, to the story that they wanted to tell. So there's, like, there's no way, right, like, you know, like, I could tell you, like, if you were, if you were like, oh, I'm going to write a book that's inspired by Strangers on a Train, like Confessions on the 745, I'd be like, go for it, you know, because you're going to write a completely different book than I wrote. Right, exactly. Um, you know, it's like, or I'm going to write a book about online dating. Okay, great. <laughs> you know, have at it. Are you trying to scare me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> It's a dare. Go for it. Try it. <laughs> there you go. And and you'll be interested to read it to see how see if it is anywhere close to your book. <laughs> yeah, or just interested to see what uh, what other what somebody else brings to it, right? Because like that's the thing. Like when you're writing authentically, you know, and you know you can't, you don't want to write anything the way anybody else has written it. Right. Right, like you've come to you've come to the work authentically, authentically motivated by character and story. You're not looking to steal somebody else's idea. Like you may be inspired by what somebody else has written and be like, "Wow, what if I took this piece of it and I'm going to use it to, you know, sort of 
jump off from, like, so, you know, a good example is Confessions on the 745. Like, that idea of two strangers meeting on a train, right? Like, the Patricia Highsmith novel right. and Alfred train. It's, like, that moment, though, like, of two strangers meeting, like, that is a classic, you know, that's a classic moment in storytelling, right? Like, it's, like, that's everything, right? Like, mm-hmm. even, you know, the short story that I wrote for Michael Carita for the, um, for the anthology, for the MWA anthology, the the seed for the story, everybody's seed for the story was like a stranger comes to town. Mm-hmm. Everybody got the same theme, right? And so that is, you know, but everybody's story was completely different. Right. So like that's kind of like you know I think that's like everything. Like you could you could give every you could give five writers the same thing, like, okay, a guy, you know, a woman meets a man online, ghosts her, he's somebody other than she believes. You'd give that to five different writers, you'd get five wildly different stories. And worst comes to worst, you both publish the book, they're going to read both and compare them. So you get more people, you get more readers. Exactly. So what's what's the harm there? <laughs> exactly. Cross promotion. I mean, we all do it. It's not like people only read one book. That's right. It's better to be talked about than not talked about. Exactly. <laughs> oh, Lisa, you're you're just you're just the most fun person to talk to. You really you really oh, truly thank are. You. So are you. Thank you. I mean, your laugh is so infectious. No wonder your husband <laughs> fell in love with you. I mean, I would too. You know? <laughs> That's I should say I have to. You know, you're just such a, a sweet person. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you, David. It comes from the heart. It has to. You know, you, when you say nice things to people, you feel good. So why shouldn't we all feel good? We should. We should all feel good. We should all be kind to each other. And that's that's the heart of everything, right? That's right. And never stop laughing because yeah. your laugh is wonderful. <laughs> it really is. Thank you. This, Thank is, you. this has been David's Book Talk. Uh, we want to mention one more time. Last Girl Ghosted is, is out from Harp. Uh, is it... Uh, what is the name of it's Harper, but it's uh, a Harper, Harper, uh, Park, Park Row. Park Row. Uh, yep. And it's in all your bookstores now, and it's fantastic. And this has been David's Book Talk, and we'll talk to you next time. You have just enjoyed the podcast of David's Book Talk, brought to you by your host, book lover David English. Please visit us at davidsbooktalk.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to our podcast. We want to hear from you, and we don't want you to miss our upcoming shows with top authors like Mary Higgins Clark, Patricia Cornwell, Lisa Scottolini, Jackie Collins, Nelson DeMille, Michael Connolly, Sue Grafton, Steve Martini, Dale Brown, David Baldacci.